Now, I, I, need, I need just to warn everyone this morning, the sermon will begin a, a little bit sad, a little bit depressing, but I, I promise you, if you stick with me, there will be joyful hope as we continue. Now, in the USA, I think most children dread the first day of school. But in Russia, the first day of school is actually an annual holiday called the Day of Knowledge. And everyone joins in in this holiday. Parents and and families and children and teachers, the whole community gathers together at local schools across the country to celebrate a new year of learning and growth. But 20 years ago, on September 1st, 2004, in the city of Beslin, Russia, this day of knowledge became instead, tragically, a a day of, of deep suffering and loss. On this day in in 2004 at Beslin School, while over a thousand people were gathered together, terrorists attacked. With with tanks and and guns, they herded 1,100 people into their school's little gymnasium, a room about this size. They murdered many immediately, and the rest they, they forced to remain standing for three days and three nights. No water, no food. Many became so thirsty they resorted to drinking their own urine. Eventually, the Russian military attacked the terrorists. Many were saved. Many were killed. When all the dust had settled, over 300 people had died and over half of them were students, children. And you know, I've actually listened to a a British preacher who was there just one month after this tragedy occurred. And while in in Beslin, he met another pastor, the local Russian pastor. And he brought him to the graveyard. This Russian pastor showed him four tiny little graves that contained his four dead children. Before these two pastors left the cemetery, they decided to pray, and the Russian pastor prayed our exact Bible passage this morning. In the graveyard, he prayed Lamentations chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. So let's now give a listen to his prayer to God in a graveyard. For those who are able, I invite you now to please stand with me for a hearing of God's holy word. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 16 begins saying this, God has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished, and so has my hope from Yahweh. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. 
but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. What wisdom this Russian pastor demonstrated in the depth of his despair to to pray a biblical lament to God. Now, what is a lament? Are books called lamentations? Well, what are those? In the Bible, a lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. A lament is, is a prayer that begins by expressing pain but ends with trusting God for hope. And this Russian pastor did just that. He prayed a lament to to fully vent his tears and sorrows and to recommit his, his hope in God, trusting Yahweh. And don't misunderstand me. Of course, I know that laments won't magically solve all your problems. It didn't bring this man's children back to life but it did provide the hope he needed in that moment. It gave him some peace, comfort in the God who controls all. Lament will put worship in your heart, even if you're standing in a graveyard. Now, as heart-wrenching and as inspiring as this true story of Bethlehem's pastor is, Of course, Lamentations was obviously not written in Russia. It was written in Judah. Many theologians guess Jeremiah as its likely author, but the book is ultimately anonymous. Whoever he was, he was a God-fearing Jew in the 500s B.C. Now, why was he lamenting? What could have caused our, our author so much grief that he would pen five chapters of a lament prayer. Well, let's consider lamentations in the Bible's larger context. Remember last week, we explored the book of Zephaniah. And Zephaniah had warned Judah to to repent of their many and various sins, to trust in God alone. They could experience His, His grace, right? That they could experience His his loud rejoicing and happy shouts over them in love in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. But let me tell you, after the book of of Zephaniah was completed, tragically, the people of Judah plugged their ears to its message. They rejected God, His Word, and His invitation of gospel grace. And so Yahweh had no other option but to give the people what they demanded, namely, a life without Him, a life without Yahweh's blessings and protection, and this book of Lamentations records the tragic result. Just like how the northern kingdom of Israel was exiled away by Assyria, now in Lamentations, 
the southern kingdom of Judah is being exiled away too. This time by the new superpower of the land, not up to Assyria, but down to Babylon. And things get really bad really fast for Judah. While Babylon gradually destroys this kingdom, stealing away its people as prisoners of war, the suffering unfortunately reaches Holocaust-type levels. Lamentations 2 verse 4 says that many loved ones had been killed. Chapter 2 verses 11 to 12 describe infants tragically starving to death, dying in their mother's arms. Chapter 2 verse 20 notes that the withholding of food and water by Babylon gets so bad that some parents even result to cannibalism, killing and consuming their own family members. This is a picture of what sin does to people. The end result is death. This is a preview of hell. This is what it ultimately looks like when you don't have God in your life, when you reject God's grace and His Word. But let's connect this book further to 2023. One reason why God put Lamentations in your Bible is so that when you personally find yourself in a season of pain or suffering, whether it's a a consequence, a natural byproduct of of your sins, or maybe your suffering is not your fault, sometimes it's really random, you'll know exactly what to do. If you read Lamentations and internalize its message, next time pain and suffering come knocking on your door, you'll know exactly how to pray to begin the journey of rediscovering God's hope through His gift of lament. Now, how precisely can you get there? How can you move and progress from starting in a place of deep pain and moving to a place of solid hope in God. I think the book of Lamentations gives us three steps to follow. Let's begin with step number one. The first step of lament prayer is to cry to God. Cry to God. The idea is is to fully express your sorrows to the Lord in prayer. These don't have to be literal tears, but they sure can be. Did you know that the author of Lamentations wrote this book while crying profusely? Tears were drenching his face as he wrote down chapter 3. In Lamentations chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For these things I weep, My eyes flow with tears. In Lamentations chapter 2, verse 11, he says, My eyes are spent with weeping. This writer is in anguish, and he doesn't hide it. He cries to God. And in our passage this morning, 
In Lamentations 3, verses 16 to 20, again, our, our prophet isn't shy. He doesn't hesitate to honestly pour out his heart and his tears to Yahweh in prayer. So let's jump around these verses a little to survey the author's sorrows. In your Bibles, in verse 16, line 1, he basically says, God, in this great devastation and loss, my, my suffering is so great that, God, I feel like you're making my teeth to chew down on pieces of gravel. He's saying my soul feels like it's being forced to chomp down onto a handful of rocks until my mouth is left bloodied and broken. This is what my soul feels like. In verse 16, line 2, the prophet says that he feels like God's providence has made him to cower in ashes. Later in verse 20, line 2, he says something similar. My soul is bowed down within me. He's basically saying, my soul feels crumpled up, cowering in degradation, covered in dirt. God, my soul is deeply depressed for the tragedies in my life. Have you ever felt this way? And if you have, are you honest with God about it in prayer? Are you as honest as this prophet? In verse 17, he essentially says, I don't have any peace. My sadness is so great that I can't even remember what happiness is. My sorrows are so intense and have lasted for so long that goodness has escaped my very memory. In verse 19, he says that his affliction and exiled wanderings are bitter as wormwood and gall. Wormwood is likely bitter drink, and gall is likely bitter food. So remember, there's, there's already no food in the land. So he's saying poetically, even the food I do have is disgusting. It's bitter, and it fails to quench my thirst or satisfy my stomach. Verse 20, line 1. The prophet says he continually remembers these things because sometimes sorrows are so intense that you just can't get them out of your head. And finally, back to verse 18. Perhaps worst of all, the author says, my endurance has perished and so has my hope from Yahweh. He's basically praying, you know, God, I'll, I'll be dead honest with you. All in all, I feel hopeless. While tears stream down my face, I'm crying out to you in prayer, God, because I feel like I have no hope in you left, but you're the only one who can help me. Now, I, I know this is very depressing, but the whole reason we go through all these sorrows is to show you that our prophet is hugely demonstrative. He's wearing his heart on his sleeve to pray out his sadness to God with, with literal weeping and with brutal honesty about his negative emotions. And this is a lesson 
for those of you who suffer. Ecclesiastes 7.3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. What this verse teaches and what the prophet in Lamentations understands is that in order to ultimately heal and to work your way back to a place of happiness, you have to frown first. You have to first fully express your sorrow in prayer. You can't skip this step if you're really sad and you want to find ultimate relief. The first step of a lament prayer is not happiness. Yet so many Christians today think that the fastest way to get over grief is to pretend like it doesn't exist. I think especially the men struggle with this. I know I do. To just stuff it down and and hope it fades. But that's not the example we see here in Scripture, is it? That's kind of like hiding a moldy, wet rag behind the fridge in your kitchen. Hiding it for a while, thinking that you're good because it's out of sight and out of mind for a season, but not realizing that if you don't deal with it, eventually it's going to start to stink. The mold is going to spread and it will demand your attention. If you refuse to feel your sadness in God's presence today when you're in a season of suffering, it will come back to haunt you tomorrow. Because when you bury your emotions, you bury them alive. So when you feel sad in God's presence, express it. As American church, we have room as a country to grow in this area. Over a third of the Psalms, the Bible's song and prayer book, are laments, prayers that begin in pain. But if you turn on Christian radio today, rather than 33% laments to, to match the Bible, only 3% of songs today will let any of their lyrics linger in sadness and worship as the Bible does. I think American culture is, is so obsessed at times with triumphalism and positive thinking and, and always winning all the time that the American church has forgotten how to cry in worship. So to be clear, if, if, if you try to skip this step and prematurely go straight to happiness in a season of suffering, if, if you try to pretend that you're happy in God's presence when you're just not, your worship might become fake. It won't be authentic or real. Real friends are, are honest with each other when they're having a bad day, right? And the same is true with God. God's closest saints know that they can be honest with Him too because the alternative is either praying prayers that, that aren't genuine with where you're at or giving God the silent treatment. When you suffer, you might be tempted to stop your prayers altogether. And this is the ultimate faith killer. 
Because just like humans, relationships start to die the moment that a pair stops talking to each other. Silence while suffering is poison to your faith. It can lead to cynicism, bitterness, and most dangerous of all, if you stop talking to God, it can lead to apathy, just not even caring anymore. So when you feel angry at life, or if you're honest, even if you feel sinfully angry at God, whatever you do, don't stop praying. Instead, go to God to prayer respectfully, but honestly. Be real about your emotions. Notice also that step one is, is not merely to cry, but to cry to God. The author didn't just cry to himself, he cried in prayer. If you cry only to yourself, you'll experience a little relief, but if you cry to God, you'll experience His divine relief. Parents, when your kids cry, please don't tell them, stop being such a baby. If you teach your kids as their parent on earth that you can't be trusted with their tears, then they'll learn that their parent in heaven is not to be trusted either. If they can't trust you with their negative emotions without being shamed for them, they'll learn to suppress and hide their emotions from God too, rather than to pray them to Him. So instead, parents, when you see your kids crying, redirect their cries to God in prayer. It's never too early. Invite them to pray their little sorrows to God with folded hands and bended knees so that they can learn lament from an early age. Crying is distinctly human, but crying to God is distinctly Christian. Crying just expresses your sadness, but when you direct your crying to God, it transforms your sorrows into faithful prayer. Now, some of you might have a few questions at this point for step number one. Some of you might be thinking, hold on, Cole, what happened to rejoice in the Lord always? Yes, we are to rejoice in the Lord always, but the question is when you're suffering, how do you get there? And the answer is lament, a prayer that, that, that begins in pain but ends with rejoicing in God. Another question you might have, Cole, what's the difference between a righteous lament and sinful complaining? The Israelites sinfully complained about their hardships while wandering in the wilderness, and God rebuked them for it. But in Lamentations, the author is also expressing sorrow but here it's, it's written as a model for us to follow. So what gives? Let me give you two key differences here. Number one, complaining is to yourself or to other people, but lament is directed to God. The difference is your audience. So don't complain about your circumstances to other people if you haven't first given your anxieties to God in prayer. Difference number two, complaining expresses accusations toward God, 
while lamenting expresses feelings toward God. Do you see the, the, the subtle difference here? In Pastor Mark Vroegop's book on lament, he gives a great example from his wife after she miscarried. After this tragic event, she prayed, God, I know your Bible says you're not mean, but today, it sure feels like it. Please help me with these emotions. That's a great example of righteous lament that doesn't accuse God, but honestly gives Him your negative emotions and asks Him to help. These are prayers that, that God actually desires and accepts as modeled in lamentations. So give yourself permission to cry to God, to express sadness in His presence. And while this is the first step of lament, it can't be the last. So what should you do after you begin to express your sorrows in prayer? Step number two Remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. Lamentations 3 verse 21 is the hinge of our text this morning. Our author prays here, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. I want you to notice three personality traits of God listed here. Steadfast love, mercy, and faithfulness. And if these traits sound a little familiar to you, it's because the author didn't think these up on the spot. He's quoting God's name from the first sermon in this series, from Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. And by the way, I strongly encourage you to consider memorizing this verse. Exodus 34, 6 to 7. The author apparently did. He used Bible memorization to help him to call to mind God's faithfulness through his tears. Bible memorization for him is, is apparently a, a primary tool to help him remember when life felt bad that God was still good. These verses in Exodus are, are only one sentence long, so everyone here is capable to do it. Maybe memorize it together as a family. It's a one-sentence summary of God's character. It's the most repeated sentence in all the Bible, and it's God's favorite sentence for describing himself. And the three attributes here are, are each special. God's steadfast love reminds the author all these years later, after Exodus 34, Yahweh is the same. He still has loyal, faithful love. Second is God's mercies new every morning. Remember the word for mercy in Hebrew comes from the word for womb. God's mercy is a mother's tender compassion for the child of her womb. The author is reminding himself, even in severe affliction and punishment, that God still cares. He has compassion for you 
in your suffering. Next attribute, number three, the author calls to his memory that God is faithful. God is true to his word and his promises, and he's not just a little faithful. Great is his faithfulness. It seems through these three traits that the prophet knows how to count his blessings even among his great sorrows. He calls to mind God's faithfulness, his steadfast love, maybe in that he still has breath in his lungs. He remembers God's compassions, maybe in that God will hear his prayer of pain. You see, the the author of Lamentations, ultimately, he writes his pains in sand, but he engraves his blessings in stone. This is how to restore your hope in God. Yes, weep out your sorrows to the Lord, but remember the blessings he has still left you. I also want to point out here the verbal phrase in verse 21, call to mind, call to mind. This isn't passive remembering. It's not like when you randomly remember what you had for dinner last night. It's much more like when you lose your keys or phone or wallet and you try to remember where you put them. You have to pull off the sofa cushions. You have to text your wife and ask her if she's seen them. You have to concentrate and think back and retrace your steps. This is what it means to remember God's faithfulness. It's an intentional action. So use the tools of of Bible memorization, of, of reading God's faithfulness in the past so you can call to mind God's faithfulness in the future. Maybe write down a journal. Keep your own personal record of God's faithfulness so that when you experience a season of sorrows, you can go back and read it and call to mind God's faithfulness to you today. Finally, step number three, wait on God. In Lamentations 3, verse 25, the prophet says, Yahweh is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. The final step to rediscovering hope through your tears is to wait on God. This means after you pray your first lament prayer, don't give up if you still feel depressed tomorrow. Don't quit your faith if your sorrows don't vaporize immediately. Wait on the Lord to restore to you the joy of your salvation. Because it's not easy. Sometimes it takes time, but it's worth it. Because the steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies Never come to an end. They are new every morning like manna in the wilderness. Great is his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you that your gift of lament ultimately points to Jesus Christ. Hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Father, lament reminds us through the suffering and trials we experience that this world is broken by sin. But we praise you, God, for the solution because Jesus died on the cross to suffer and cry and die in our place. I pray that everyone here today who maybe has not yet been born again, that you would shine into their hearts and cast out the darkness. Give them the gift of repentance and faith. 
And Father, I thank you that Jesus knows what it's like to pray a lament. From the cross, he prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, help us to follow his model. When we feel far from you, help us to cry out to you in faith. Help us to remember to call to mind your faithfulness and to wait on you. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name, a man of sorrows who will one day return to vanquish our tears and fears forevermore. Amen.